This is an AMI podcast. I'm Megan Gilmore, and this is The Pulse. Say it with me now. We are living in unusual, unprecedented times. That's what everyone, politicians, journalists, celebrities, the neighbor down the street, says about this COVID-19 pandemic. It's almost a cliche now. But last week, nearly 40 Canadian organizations issued a series of recommendations calling on governments to make sure people with disabilities are properly cared for during this pandemic. Many of these concerns are about accessible health care and communication. And while these concerns have existed long before the first cases of COVID-19 were reported. So are these times really unprecedented and unusual for people with disabilities? Today, we talk to Bonnie Braden, National Executive Director of the Disabled Women's Network of Canada, about how to protect people with disabilities during COVID-19. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hi, everyone. I'm Megan Gilmore, filling in for Drita Gupta today on The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm coming at you from my home basement, so uh, thank you for joining me as we work from home at AMI-audio during this time with COVID-19. We are committed to keeping you safe and keeping each other safe, and we're also committed to producing and broadcasting programs for you live during this time, just like we usually do. And uh, we know a lot of people have concerns and questions about everything related to this pandemic. So AMI-audio has put up a special page with coverage about COVID-19. So you can go to www.ami.ca forward slash COVID-19, and it will give you um, links to segments on Now Day Brown, on Kelly Company, and full episodes of The Pulse, and we'd be happy to keep you informed during this because while we may all be physically distancing these have been some really busy times for some people and that includes disability advocates earlier this month uh, my canada includes me which is a coalition of disability organizations across this country sent a list of recommendations to the Honourable Minister Carla Qualtro, the Minister of Disability Inclusion, about what they would like to see happen for people with disabilities during this time. One of the organizations that's part of that coalition is Dawn Canada, the Disabled Women's Network, which is a leading organization that works to promote equality for disabled women and girls across Canada. Bonnie Braden is the executive director of Don Canada, and she has joined us today to tell us more about these recommendations and how COVID-19 is impacting people with disabilities. Hi, Bonnie. It's good to talk to you. Good afternoon, Megan. Thanks so much for having us on the pulse today. Thanks so much for talking to us. We know things are a little uh, strange right now. So first, before we get into discussing the coalition and your recommendations, just remind the audience about who Don Canada is and what you do. So Don Canada, as you mentioned earlier, is a national feminist disability organization. Don Canada has been serving women and girls with disabilities in Canada for 35 years this June. Very proud to have our anniversary coming up. Not sure how we'll get to celebrate it right off the bat. But uh, having said that, um, our, our organization 
works um, across um, with the federal government across the provinces and territories. We use a four-pillar approach, research, education, policy, and advocacy is sort of the framework, Megan. And again, we're a cross-disability, intersectional feminist organization. At this moment, how would you rate the federal government's response to including the needs of people with disabilities in their responses to COVID-19? Ooh, well, I'm afraid it wouldn't uh, be giving them high marks in terms of any explicit uh, messaging. I think that one of the things that drove um, the coalition to feel we had to send some clear messaging to the federal government was because we weren't hearing ourselves in the messaging. Now, I'm not saying that some of the programs and things that the government has done won't benefit people with disabilities, but... um, in the context of being the largest uh, minority group in Canada at uh, 22% for men and nearly 25% for women, it's important to understand that we're the largest minority group in this country, that we have the highest rates of poverty, the highest rates of unemployment, um, you know, most of the most profound challenges. And in fact, if it wasn't, uh, we were talking about COVID-19, I would remind your listeners that the majority of human rights complaints in Canada are disability related already. So I think, you know, it's quite clear that you would think that given that the highest rates of human rights complaints and many other measurable things tell us that the worst off Canadians are people with disabilities, that the very first people the federal government might be messaging to and trying to reassure would be our community. But indeed, that hasn't been the case. And as many Canadians with disabilities, I'm sure, have uh, have noted, um, the federal government was the very last to start using um, some sign language. And again, it's not adequate in terms of what they're doing now. We know from our colleagues in the deaf community that there's a great deal more that needs to be done. But that applies, of course, to all the different types of communication needs that need to be met for people with disabilities to be safe in this situation. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Megan Gilmore, filling in for Judy Gupta today. And our guest is Bonnie Braden, the National Executive Director of Dawn Canada. She uh, was involved, uh, Dawn as an organization, was involved in a list of recommendations that were sent to the federal government recently Uh, telling them how they would like people with disabilities to be acknowledged and included and taken care of during COVID-19. Bonnie, we'll get into this more in the next segment, but before we go to break, I was just wondering if you could briefly outline what the main concerns are that the coalition brought forward to the federal government. You've mentioned accessible communication, whether that's ASL or plain language communication or uh, closed captioning or described video, what what are some of the other concerns that you had for the government? Well, I think, again, building off that, right, an explicit national value statement affirming the equal rights of people with disabilities and their being um, offered um, medical treatment and care, including in circumstances of pandemic triage. You know, having that at the very top of our list, I think, speaks to how vulnerable people with disabilities feel at this time. Uh, There's no question from past pandemics that we know that when it comes to triage in really difficult circumstances, that people with disabilities are triaged out instead of, uh, I think I would be remiss not to make it clear to uh, your listeners that under the current circumstances wherein the, the changes to made that come forward already put in question equality rights for Canadians with disabilities, that right now 
that that feels even more profoundly true and that it might mean that people with disabilities will hesitate to go to seek medical assistance or care. And uh, I just want to just quickly jump in with a clarifying comment. Um, Bonnie, you've mentioned a few times uh, today made, which does stand for medical assistance in dying. And and just for some context, Mm -hmm. uh, last month at the end of February, the government introduced um, proposed amendments to legislation that would allow people to ask for MAID if their natural death is not reasonably foreseeable. Uh, that has not been made official law of the land yet. Uh, the government's hoping to pass that by July. But Carla Qualtrough, who's the Minister and for Disability Inclusion, has also been involved in that file. But that's a conversation that was going on in Canada before COVID-19 mm-hmm. uh, was reported here. Um, I think that that has to be the first thing that we talk about. It's the one that that is at the top of the list from all of us. And of course, I think is driving what we felt was the imperative behind why it it felt so urgent. And there's also the coalition, you mentioned the need for uh, connection with individual Indigenous communities um, and adequate funding for supports for disability organizations and the income supports across this country. Yeah, there's a long list, actually, Megan, of things that we think we need. And indeed, one of the ones that you point out around um, our Indigenous communities in particular and the real concern we have for people who are in rural and remote communities, especially Indigenous communities, because of the fact that there's already issues and that um, if there should be an outbreak of COVID in these communities, it's not clear again, you know, how that triage would, um, would unfold. I think it's really important um, to understand that we want clear guidelines to be released to service providers, to social work and healthcare workers, to understand that we want everyone to be safe and to to ensure that proper supports continue. Um, We need to set up some kind of a citizen task force for people with disabilities, again, remembering um, that we are the largest minority group and that despite this, we're not being really even explicitly addressed in any of the communications that are coming out of the government. And that um, the caregiver benefits, a lot of the things that are being uh, unpacked, like I said, while they do uh, in some cases potentially benefit people with disabilities or their families, that the explicit need to explain that to the people who are offering or um, putting out the benefits is one of the key things. And beyond that, that people with disabilities themselves become aware of what's available to them because this notion that using um, the internet and um, uh, the the kinds of communications that the government is doing now, the fact that uh, Service Canada bureaus are potentially going to be closed, you know, the coordination in terms of being able to make sure that people with disabilities who don't have access to the internet, because that's a very real thing, don't have access to a cell phone, don't have access to any of those things, are still able to know what they might need to do. And that that requires a mobilization at the federal level, provincial, territorial level, and at the micro-community level to individual people with disabilities. I know um, Ontario is working on developing their guidelines for triaging. Uh, The Toronto Star was reporting on that on on March 29th, that there's been guidelines that are being developed to help physicians decide who gets intensive care treatment and critical care treatment during this time. And one of the guiding principles 
for these guidelines is utility and this idea of giving treatment to people who will most benefit from it. So what are your concerns with how people with disabilities could be treated when they're going to the hospital to seek, you know, like a test for COVID-19 or if they have symptoms, what are your concerns about this? Wow, this is such an important conversation and a tough one to have, Megan, because I think it's important so that people with disabilities who are listening can know that this is something that, that all of us are concerned about and that, that all of us really need to keep, um, you know, very much top of mind. Um, you know, I mentioned MAID be- before because, as I said, there's been a recent and important change to MAID that no longer requires imminent uh, death um, to be a condition for obtaining MAID. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but I think the point that comes forward from there and that, that this conversation, you know, sort of pivots to in the context of COVID-19 is that we still live in a world where people with disabilities, human rights are not equal to those of other people. When you take the example of MAID and you, you know, substitute any other rights holder in there and say, um, you know, that um, based on the fact that imminent death is no longer an issue, um, you, you could change, you, you could uh, make a request to end your life on the basis that you're Indigenous would be an absurd statement to make. It would be an absurd thing and it would cause a you and cry, thankfully, because we are finally in a place in Canada where we understand that Indigenous rights are the same as any other human rights. And yet, when we look at made objectively and take that step back and now bring it forward to the COVID conversation, we understand that This is not how the medical system sees people with disabilities. This is not how the um, professions see people with disabilities. The judiciary, um, many people in the public sphere do not see people with disabilities as having the same equality rights as others. While they may say that, in fact, systemic ableism is why we have a situation like we have here. The the reality is, is that people with disabilities understand that if they go into the medical system, they are not seen as Um, healthy. They are seen as because they have a disability that they are not in good health. And it's one of the, you know, the larger perceptual problems that we understand. But, you know, going beyond that to the idea that because somebody with COVID-19 might present who has a disability, um, we, we may be, like I said, in a situation soon where what we're going to have to be doing is adjudicating on an individual basis. You know, I don't know where this goes, and it's frightening for people with disabilities. It's frightening for our organizations, and it's the reason why this conversation, while it is the most difficult and uncomfortable for everybody, for me, feels like the one we need to have right now, especially because we do not know what will be happening. We we have um, reason, I think, for optimism in Canada at this point in terms of what the public health officials are saying it's looking like in terms of our ability to manage this. But we may well be faced with that question. And the idea that we're uh, a supposedly progressive, inclusive society in Canada and that people with disabilities fully, again, almost one quarter of Canadians remain with a question open about will they receive equal treatment in the healthcare system through COVID-19 is very central to what COVID-19 needs to be about for all Canadians as we go forward and pass this crisis. So you're concerned that people with disabilities may be turned away from getting the care that they need during this time? Maybe turned away, maybe triaged out of being the person to receive care 
and to be really clear in terms of what, what I know is already the case, afraid to go to the healthcare system if they need it because of their fear. We've talked about concerns that people with disabilities might have, you know, when they're coming to the hospital during this time. I was just want to look at the other side of it. There's people with disabilities who are currently in the hospital for things not related Mm -hmm. to the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. So do you have any concerns about how some visiting requirements at different healthcare facilities could negatively impact people with disabilities who are currently in the hospital seeking treatment for things other than COVID-19? I absolutely do because some of the um, uh, measures that they put in place restrict access. And of course the restriction of access for somebody who's a person with a disability in the hospital right now might mean um, that they're not going to get the level of care and support that they need. We understand that the healthcare system is, you know, sort of stretched beyond its capacity at this point. And that inevitably what that means is that some of the things that are normally done for all patients are going to get um, prioritized differently. So I think that's a really important one. I think one of the other ones we should talk about that needs to be really clear is we have to have, accessible test sites, right? Accessible test sites, is, and we're not even hearing about accessible test sites at this point. No, it's the same way that people take for granted that their voting is accessible. Um, it, it, it isn't, and taking that for granted simply can't be the case. We have to make sure that test sites are accessible, and we have to make sure that they're accessible around different types of accommodations, because accessible doesn't mean simply a ramp. It means many different things to different people. And, you know, the idea that we're in the year 2020 and that we don't have clear protocols for how we do this in an emergency context, both at the federal level, but, you know, it's sort of on a a pan-Canadian level, speaks to um, the fact that these kind of things, um, you know, haven't been given the priority they need to be in terms of understanding that um, the cookie-cutter approach doesn't work for human rights and it doesn't work for healthcare. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Megan Gilmore, filling in for Druida Gupta. And our guest today is Bonnie Braden, the Executive Director of Dawn Canada, the Disabled Women's Network of Canada. Bonnie, we just have a few moments left in the interview. So I want to ask you a question that more directs, uh, relates directly to your role with Dawn. Uh, you're the executive director of a feminist disability organization. So I was just wondering, are there any ways that women with disabilities are particularly impacted or at risk because of COVID-19 that might be different than maybe men with disabilities? Yeah, another great question, Megan. I think there's two ways I'd like your viewers to think about this. The first one is to know something that many people may not know which is that the majority of unpaid caregiving in this country is done by a woman with a disability. And so if you're out there and you're a member of a family that, you know, knows who she is, then it's important to acknowledge that at this particular time, she's in a much greater risk and that there needs to be um, a real concern and focus on not just the paid caregiver role, but the unpaid caregiver, because the unpaid caregiver is already um, under stress has been under stress probably for a long time without support and now finds herself at risk as well as um, under stress and being under supported. So I want to I put that one out there because I think it's extremely important to put that in context. Um, 
and of course the other one that I, I I don't think we you know we would serve well without being clear on is that because of uh, COVID nineteen and because so many more people are at home, um, the you know the prime minister and others have already spoken about the fact that there's a much um, higher risk of gender-based violence um, in in circumstances like this. And that the reality is, um, the statistics bear out as well, right, that the highest rates of gender-based violence are committed against um, women and girls with disabilities. That we understand, too, in in, um, the context of um, the many people with disabilities who are forced into congregated living and into institutional settings, that these risks are even more heightened in those situations. And so I would say that, I, and I really appreciate having had a moment to really focus in on the idea that when we are talking about services to women and girls, that to anyone out there who is involved in services to women and girls is that you remember that the first women you need to think of are women and girls with disabilities and how you're going to connect and reach out to them because they are already underserved in shelters and transition houses because we do not have a really strongly networked community um, and the supports that are needed for women with disabilities in Canada just yet. This pandemic has really opened people's eyes, hopefully, to a lot of different groups in society that need support. And hopefully when this all clears up, that support will continue and continue to grow even after we can all go out and interact like we did before. I also want, want wanted to just quickly say that it's important to remember to apply an intersectional lens in all the conversations we're having today and to understand that immigrant and racialized and indigenous folks with disabilities, folks from the LGBTQT community are especially vulnerable right now. Bonnie, thank you so much for your time and for the work that you're doing to keep people safe during this. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. Um, That was Bonnie Braden, the executive director of Dawn Canada, uh, speaking to us um, from her own uh, physical social distancing methods right now. There's been a lot of talk um, about the barriers people with disabilities face. And for our thought of the day, I just want to begin by referencing something that the coalition that Don Canada is part of mentioned when they put their recommendations forward uh, recently to the federal government. They talked about how we need a national value statement when we're talking about medical treatment and triage and reaffirming again formally the value that people with disabilities have. And I just want to remind all of us that your life had value before this pandemic started. Your life has value now in the middle of it. And when this finally ends, your life will still be just as valuable as it was before and during this. So that has not changed, even though a lot of other things have changed and we hope some things will be changing for the future. Uh, That is all the time we have for today. But again, we just hope this starts a conversation and we'd love for you to be part of it. You can get in touch with us via email, feedback at ami.ca. You can head to Twitter and send us a tweet at AMI-audio. Put the hashtag, the pulse, so our team's sure to get it. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 1-866-509-4545, 866 
509-459-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to play your comments on the air. Lots of thanks to go out today. First, Julia Gupta, your regular host, producer Andrika Delanero, technical producer Sam Robinson, who has been making sure that this show keeps going, audio technical supervisor Paula Deneen, who has been amazing, working with our manager of AMI Audio, Andy Frank, to keep us broadcasting during this time. And finally, thank you so much to you for letting us share in your physical uh, distancing and self-isolation during this time. Um, You're really the heartbeat of the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.